The dark side of AI is the dark side of people. More Wiser Podcast. Bailey Parnell, social media educator. So Bailey, tomorrow, let's say you're elected president of the US. I know you're Canadian, but we work around it. And your platform is, I'm going to reform social media. I'm going to make it safer and more fulfilling. What do you do on your first day in office? <laughs> That's a fun question. I love a good thought experiment. I think for me, this could be my bias coming from education, but everything starts from there, as does my charity. It's very much about, do you even know what's happening here? And I find that when I'm out in the world and in classrooms talking to people about social media and mental health, I'm actually still spending a lot of time on, hey, do you even know what a highlight reel is? Do you even know what active social media use can do to you? Do you even know what the risks are of using? So at first I would implement an education program or I would mandate that we get curriculum developers working on forced, forced education for all states and provinces where, and it would probably start around uh, nine years old because that's when they're getting online. And it would probably go all the way through to graduation at least. And, um, Let's see. I would also make sure like, cause you have to deal with the risk, but you also have to deal with the, <laughs> with the process of interacting with it. And then you have to deal with the outcome. So to mitigate risk, you educate people on it. And then you also need to have like mental health supports because let's say something does go wrong, which it inevitably will. You can always teach people so much, but then they start actually interacting with a trigger or they see something they didn't expect, or they find addictive behaviors in themselves. They didn't understand, or they are just so frustrated with everything they're seeing on social media and not realizing what a filter bubble is or how it ended up on their feed. So they're still going to get the outcomes. What do they do then? Are there any, are the mental health supports that already exist? Hopefully, if they exist, do they understand how tech and how AI and how social media plays into well-being these days in a very active way? Or are they just saying like, who the heck knows about this? So I would start with what do people know, I guess. So I'm kind of comparing this almost to smoking in a way, because now you see all those ads on TV pop up like, hey, smoking is you know crazy, stupid, don't do it. Would you imagine some sort of social media ad campaign where these companies are being forced to pay for ads that are actually against their own business? Yes, absolutely. So education is the first thing I would do. But my, my five steps towards safe social is five steps. And the fifth step is holding other responsible parties accountable. And that means governments, higher ed institutions. It means the companies themselves, media, parents, all these all these players that have some role in how we understand any, any risky behavior, just as you said, smoking, for example. So what can governments do more? Yes. If I was president tomorrow, first off, regulating big tech is something that has not happened in North America. In fact, I'm from Canada, but it's, it's very behind there. I live in the US now. It's very behind here. Uh, I'd say probably leading the charge are places in Europe and Australia. And um, essentially, okay, let me give you a good example. In children's television, you can't advertise something like smoking. You never could. You, you know, you can't put drinking or vaping or any of these things. And people listening are probably thinking, well, yeah, that makes sense. But the way that that's regulated in both of our countries is that 
government regulates the broadcasters and the broadcasters have to just play ball essentially. Like if you would like to broadcast, you are not allowed to advertise this on kids television. And, um, guess what? They figured it out. (laughs) So, but then those same broadcasters not too long ago, or sorry, the same advertisers not too long ago went over to TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook, and they were able to advertise to 13 year olds with vaping and pharmaceuticals. So they Uh did. And we had a vaping crisis. And so that is actually something where government can come in, where you actually do want government involved in business to come say, hey, wait a sec, our job is to take care of the people. Your job is to make a profit. Um, We're thinking that this whole social media thing is actually doing a lot of damage to people, um, to their understanding of truth, to misinformation, to their feeling of security, their mental health. Um, So we think we got to regulate this a little bit because- it's possible, like cigarettes, as you've noted, that people don't have all the information to make an informed decision here. And I don't think that they do. So we need to help them and we need to, and if, you know, these companies, if you're going to make all this money on people participating in a risky behavior, you do have some responsibility to make sure they can do it safely. So I am perfectly fine with all of these companies (laughs) having to uh, pay in some way for the mass education of these tools and actually of how it can go wrong. You know, the shift or I guess the dynamic of smoking is that it's kind of not cool now, right? If you see someone Mm -hmm. smoke, you're like, especially if they're young, I go, what are you doing? Like, it's not, Mm -hmm. it hasn't been ingrained in us the same way, but social media is very different. Mm -hmm. You see people, you're like, oh, that's the life I want. It's very cool to be social media. Like, do you think it's needed a, a mind shift change like they did with smoking in order to actually get that across to young people? Well, smoking is an interesting example because they actually did have a great marketing campaign at the beginning. You know, like people did want to smoke because they thought it was what cool people did. And there was a, and like torches of freedom and all these campaigns that made it um, appealing. And to be fair, I don't think people knew all of the risks. I think they felt that these influencers, as you've noted, do this cool thing. And just because, you know, because they've done it, I, I trust them more than I'm going to suddenly learn about carcinogens and smoke and I'm going to go do the research myself. In a way, the same things happen with social media, but almost the difference, like social media gets, I would say, it's like that times 10. Social media gets at something that's so deeply ingrained in our psyche, the desire to connect, the, the the desire to compare, the, the, we will always find some way to connect. The, thing that social media does, unlike say an old school chat forum, is that AI is involved in it. And that means that, you know, AI in these programs or, you know, algorithms, as you may have heard the phrase, is a form of artificial intelligence. They're constructing a reality for you that's actually smarter probably than you, which kind of sounds rough for a lot of people to hear, most especially if you have a high ego. But but um like this thing that these companies have paid to develop that has just, by the way, we're doing this right now in June, 2023, in literally the last three months, the, the expansion and the improvements in AI have been the biggest, in my opinion, that have ever maybe ever existed. Like people listening, you've not felt it now, but give it, give it even a couple years. Like 
this is, this is on another level right now. Social media was kind of our first contact with AI, if you will. It's, um, and it didn't go very well. So like, but I guess like social media, it, I don't want to be a full, like I'm anti-social media cause I'm not, I am on it. And actually my approach is very much a harm reduction approach. So what happened was with this with this being kind of with public adoption of social media, everyone listening here, I mean, you found me on social media, we've experienced the positive side of it. And if you are above, geez, I don't know if you're above even like 25 listening, you probably got on social media, maybe even above 30, who knows? You probably got on social media when you were already a more developed human. Like, right. especially if you got on when you were, you know, above 20, you probably already were a bit more confident. You probably already had your interests. You maybe already chose a profession. You already didn't keep those high school friends that you didn't feel obligated to keep because you moved on physically. And so when you got on social media, you probably were more likely to have set up a digital space for yourself that reflected who you actually are as an adult. Now you've got these kids though, they start creating this space when they're nine. That's crazy. Yeah, I think when the, by the time they hit 29, they're like, what is going on here? I don't know half the people here. I don't like them. Except what they have over the 40 year olds is that they're extremely tech literate. So they may not be completely literate in the emotions and well-being experiences as a result of the tech, but they are tech literate. So I find that sometimes I can have a good conversation with a 10 year old that I actually can't have completely with a 50 year old who's on social media because they're so bought into how they think and they can't even sometimes imagine that, you know, social media, AI algorithms can cr- construct a reality that's not true for them. Whereas I talk to like a 14 year old, they're like, oh yeah, I could tell that was fake right away. Interesting. <laughs> is yeah. is nine years old the average now for someone going on? No, I would say the, I would say you'll hit more around like 12 to 14 is when they start getting on. However, and this is an important point if you are interacting with young people, they start at nine typically. Like when I'm in a grade four classroom of a hundred kids, which happens more than you think, <laughs> And I say, who's on social media, probably in a grade four, which is nine years old, you'll get maybe 15 to 20% right now. That's scary. Well, I don't know. For me, it doesn't have to be scary, but then you go, it gets just, of course, it gets more and more with each grade. Like I've had the pleasure of doing grades like at schools right after one another. So I could compare literally the same day, you know, four or five, then we did six, seven, eight, nine. And so it does rise. But for, for anyone listening, um, you might not let your kid on at nine. Like you might be thinking, oh my gosh, that's wild. Who's doing that out there? I would say it doesn't matter if it, even if your kid is not online, if their friends are, they are still interacting with this risky behavior. For example, they are still at school and those kids are probably still taking photos. They're probably still doing all the things that they're allowed to do on social media. Your kid is probably a part of that. They're probably in chats. Uh, it's honestly, I've even seen it where they just set up a Finsta or fake account and just go on their friend's phone. Okay. So it's kind of like, oh yeah, I never drank before I was 19. Well, in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) 
But uh, it's like, no, a lot of people around me drank before they were 19. So it was like, okay, then we're going to be realistic about this. If the kids are interacting with this risky behavior and it's around them at that age, that's when we should start the conversations, whether they're doing it or not. So what's the most dangerous functionality of current social media? I mean, you, you referenced a personal space and I instantly thought my space, that was the first one that I had. <laughs> oh, my space is so wholesome. <laughs> am, right. So are we naive in looking back with rose colored glasses to my space or did we just not know any better? And it was the same as it is today. No, we have rose colored glasses for my space because it felt innocent in comparison to what we're dealing with today, but it was not innocent. Every risk, it was also a risky behavior in that it is possible. A risky behavior is simply just when you participate, you expose yourself to potential harm. That's it. That's it. That doesn't mean that you're going to be harmed every time that you go on MySpace. But I don't know if you remember this era, (laughs) people like even in you know in sort of my peers they would take myspace extremely seriously like it was a reflection of who you are oh, yeah. and if somebody put a song on there that yes. was like emotional or they put on like a yep. couple of images that were looking a bit we would call it emo back then oh, yeah. people were like concerned it was a statement oh if you oh gosh if somebody broke up with them there was some passive aggressive stuff on my space oh, yeah. or, or outright aggressive. So like, or people like, um, there's also whole, the whole area, which if you want to get super serious about maybe, um, like people who were struggling with mental health, who were talking about suicide and that was all happening on MySpace too. So it's like, um, if I only told you about that part of MySpace, you would not be thinking that it's so innocent, right? Right. We saw the inklings of what people would do when full, full-fledged full social media was here. And we also saw the beauty of it, right? Like expression, creativity, connection, learning, all these things that I still get from social media. It's just about you know risk reduction in a way. Was the fact that it was dumber though, did that help that it didn't have these <laughs> powerful AI algorithms? And I don't even remember notifications. Yes, it, I will say that was different. Yeah. It, you know... In in that way, it was more innocent in that there was less involvement from artificial intelligence. And you know what? I've even come like, I've done a lot of thinking about artificial intelligence and, and uh, well-being, of course, right? This is my world, digital well-being. And I've gone full circle, Joe. Like I started out, oh my God, the public is not ready for adoption of this. We, they've not even handled social media. This is going to be terrible. And then I just had like a click and I'm like, wait a second. I literally wrote the theory for how to understand this. The dark side of AI is the dark side of people. Interesting. Just the same way I wrote in the TED talk, the dark side of social media is the dark side of people. And what I was actually scared about with public adoption of AI was Malactors misuse of AI for bad intent. I was nervous that my family, who doesn't even have digital literacy in the world of social media, is going to be getting a scammer call that sounds like their wife and is asking for their SIN number. And this is like can happen right now with AI. And that's where I was, uh, you know, getting a little bit like having an existential crisis. But now I've come around to no way we go. We are right now fighting for the future that we that we want to see with AI, because it's also something that can be a personal tutor that can, um, like 
teach you immeasurable things like that can be a conversationalist that can, I'm using it literally probably almost every day right now. I use GBT. I have oh, really? Nice. Yeah. Probably every single day. So I went that, that to me was a quick, quick adoption. And okay. I say all that though, as like to give context for how, where that is right now was not on MySpace, And the malintent of AI or the misuse of AI or the greedy aims of AI is what was put into social media. As in we started using artificial intelligence or, you know, algorithms to start making people buy shit. Yep. Like literally like do, do act or think differently is the aims of most of the companies. Because if they're, if they make most of their profit on advertising, then the basis of that advertising is do act or think differently. Or Jerome Lanier would call this behavior modification technology. So the entire aim of it is to modify your behavior. And that was where we came in they came in like psychological ninjas and no, the public was not prepared maybe because they were used to something as wholesome as MySpace. Who's going to regulate those algorithms? Do you think in the future, should they be regulated? Should you be able to turn them off and who would have the overall oversight onto what is and isn't allowed? You know what? This is a, this is actually, I would say the core if you really want to like go back, you're getting to a question that deals with the core of political systems actually around the world. Because even here in the US, a huge philosophical difference in different <laughs> political leaders is what is government's role in the public's life, right? And also now I think we're getting to a point though, well, gosh, I hope so, which is what is business's role in determining your reality? Right. Because I think that we've gotten to a point publicly where we realize that when businesses, gosh, I think we got to this though, 100, 200 years ago, when businesses go unregulated, the goal, the goal for wealth creation for a select few can get out of hand. That's why we started regulating businesses. Because so now I just think what I'm concerned about and what I'm hopeful for at the same time is that. I do think this will have to be regulated um, for the best interest of the public. And here's the tough part. It's going to come back to bite me someday. The public doesn't always know what is in their best interests. Um, and this can be a hot statement to make. Um, here's what I'll say though. Like for example, smoking, did the public always know, did we expect the public to know the science of carcinogens and rat poison? And like, I don't know, whatever else is in cigarettes. Like, right, yeah. Do we expect them to know all that? No, we expected to trust experts who understand this stuff. And we expected them to work with politicians who were supposed to be out to serve the people and their welfare. And we expected them to work together to serve the people and that we had to vote accordingly. But right now, just in this weird time of history that we're in, I'm not sure that the politicians understand this. Like the politicians right now, largely just based again on just age and like when they were born, they did not go through puberty with social media. They did not experience all of these things or see it in their friends or have this daily interaction. So it does not hit the same way. I mean, they literally were not conditioned the same way. And then 
do I expect that politicians, you know, let's pretend they're 45 are suddenly getting super immersed in the world of TikTok. No, they probably have other things going on. If they're on TikTok, it is probably for other aims. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is. Um, so now in this weird time of history, you've got these businesses who have just gone, you know, off the handle who have spent billions figuring this out, how to modify behavior. And um, they've succeeded immeasurably. I mean, and this is not even with the recent AI large language models. This is like contact one with social media. Immeasurably, they have succeeded in making entire populations believe falsities about one thing or vote a certain way or Russian interference in the American election. I mean, like this is all just facts now. It's like, oh yeah, they they did a good job. And at the same time, the politicians didn't really understand what's going on. And I'm not sure they fully understand what's going on in the world of AI either. And so we're going to have some consequences like we have had for the last 20 years before we have some, you know, coming around to understanding that we need to regulate this. Here's the unfortunate and realistic thing is that us, everyone listening here, everyone alive right now going through this, we are the ones, we are the generations that are going to have to deal with these consequences. But it is not irregular that new tech takes some time to, uh, you know, it usually new tech does cause a bunch of consequences before it's regulated. And those are good consequences too. Like, you know, when the car came out, the car, literally, I mean, any kind of technology, not just computer tech, they're like, oh crap people crash into things. <laughs> yeah. People need some guidance on where to drive. Yeah, so we develop all these systems that surround the tech to ultimately serve the people. And I think that, um, that can take that historically that has taken like decades. Right. Um, so it's weird to be the ones living in it. And it's certainly weird to be the one living in it, knowing like, Hey, sounding the alarm all the time, but also being like, but no, 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 I know this can be good. Like this can serve humanity. I have been to connect connected to people. I have learned, I have built businesses on this stuff that help people. Right. I know that this can serve humanity. It's just, we need to maybe, um, like, like all regulation, ideally in a democratic uh, society would be that the regulation is meant to serve the people. Yeah. Almost period. <laughs> and there should be debate about what that is, but right now it's almost a debate about what is true period. <laughs> yes. And do you think that we're missing some of the underlying research, like direct causality between social media and mental health? Is, is that the missing link to kind of make this like a cigarette smoking type of thing where we all agree this is bad? Yeah. That's why it's absolutely more, like I said, it's a cigarette times 10 though. It has one element of that, but the trick of social media is that in and of itself, half of what causes the mental health, I would say more than half of what causes any mental health, like negative issues is the content that you engage with on it and the people. So the people are causing, you know, these people issues. And some of it has to do with the algorithm for sure. And there's absolutely for sure behavioral psychologists working for these companies, getting the tech itself to be an addictive practice, but also the content. So, so you're right. There's complexity. Some people, if you ask them like, Oh, you're not realizing that you're feeling down or depressed or signs of anxiety and all these things that seem to be rising. Um, they might say it's just because the world seems like it's falling apart. Well, 
how do you know that the world's falling apart? How do you find this information? And then it would be through social media. Okay. So how often do you go on social media? Oh, maybe I'm on, you know, six hours a day. Or if you actually track them, it's probably like they may think it's an hour a day, but it's actually more. Right. And so it's like, okay, so now you're interacting in this space with all this information that's making you feel down about the world six hours a day. And yeah, 20 years ago, there were still negative news stories. It just was not the same. It was, you know, you turned it off. It was contained. Um, so then, so then there's other things that can happen on social media that people might not attribute to social media. Can you, can Which you is, rank? It is complex, right? It's, it's very complex. So I want to ask you, can you rate these in their order of importance between social media mm-hmm. and the impact on your mental health, the number of accounts you have, Mm-hmm. your time spent on average per day mm-hmm. or the age of your first social media account? Hmm. I would say none of those are their strongest predictor, but let's go through them. Oh, then what is? Let's go, Ooh, yeah, what let's is? go through them one-on-one and I'll tell you like um, how important I think it is. So yeah. what was the first one? Number of accounts. Hmm. I would say unless you're like, very serious to a point of being a job about maintaining each account, that's probably not going to matter as much for how you experience social media. You'll probably have the same strategies for yourself and like what you find important across the platform. So that will probably matter less. What's the next one? Time spent per day. Time spent is an interesting one because I always get a lot of parents who ask like, oh, screen time, what are the screen time limits, right? But actually... Sorry to say, life is more complex, (laughs) but um, recent research would suggest that screen time is actually not a good indicator of affective experience or how you feel as a result of using. It's shocker, not the quantity of the screen time, but the quality of the screen time. So if your kid is watching, you're on a road trip and they're 10 hours watching YouTube or, you know, flicking back and forth and having a grand old time being entertained, that inherently is not worse than an hour. Honestly, that is not even worse than 15 minutes of screen time where your kid was triggered or bullied or saw something that they didn't expect to see and don't know how to handle or saw their friends out for together and weren't invited. I promise you that 15 minutes is going to do more damage than 10 hours being entertained. It can have like, of course, if that was every single day, 10 hours, you know, you sure, might sure. you might be like not doing other things that lead to better mental health, like moving or exercising or something like that. And then the third one. And then age of your first account. Yep. I would say that matters less than some other factors we can talk about because um, I also get asked by parents, like, what age should I let them on? And I'm like, gosh, like, I don't know. <laughs> sure. I'll give you a number 14, but also... Not all 14-year-olds. Like I have to add the caveat that here's a good example. I have nieces. One of my nieces is 13, 14. One of them is just turned 10. Um, One of them is – and for a while there, the 10-year-old, even when she was 8 and 9, I was pretty confident she'd be able to handle social media. Her parents – like they they didn't let her on yet, but um, they when they asked my advice, I said, honestly, I think we'll be fine because – offline had a lot of things, what's her name, a 10 year old, but she um, had a lot of things that she was confident about, interested in, had a good group of friends, connected to the family, um, like uh, hobbies and most important, like 
focused in school, but I would say the most important thing was her social relationships were good and she presented signs of confidence uh, very young. Honestly, I would have been able to tell her, here's what to expect on social media. And she would have been able to understand it. We would have been able to have a dialogue if anything went wrong. And I felt that she would have been okay. But the 13 year old, when she was 12, I wouldn't even let her on. She, I think she just turned 14 and she just got on Instagram and it's like private, only people she knows. Like, And the reason why is because they found that she, well, she was being bullied in school offline and there was, um, she was not feeling confident about herself and they caught her like, you know, saying bad things about herself or something like that. And my point being, she just like presented signs that to me, social media would exaggerate. I would say, you're not ready. Nope. I don't care if you're 16, you're not ready. If you do not feel like you've got purpose offline, you're not feeling confident about yourself. You don't feel like you have good social relationships. You feel like you're being bullied. Nope. Not ready. Like, because social media is going to exaggerate whatever's happening offline. So I would say the best indicator, and this actually came out in my research, which so literally the number one indicator of whether or not someone would have a good or bad experience and moderator, how good or how bad was how they felt about themselves offline at time of use or offline affect. So this to me, you know, I think is still true that I'll be able to better predict your experience on social media by having a quick conversation with you before you go use about how you're feeling right now, about your goals in life and about your relationships. I can't do that for all, you know, 8 billion of us, but you can do it for yourself, right? If you start thinking about this, like, am I drinking because I don't feel good about myself or am I drinking as a way to socially have a nice time with my friends? Those are very different outcomes. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And I don't think most people would tie it back to, well, how am I doing away from social media? Cause that's going to mm-hmm. impact how I'm on it. So are there levels though, to social media apps and sites? I mean, are some riskier and more dangerous than others? I think of like Pinterest, which is probably social media. Is that safer mm-hmm. than say Facebook or Instagram? And what would the hierarchy be in your mind? Yeah, I would say, um, yeah, I would say Pinterest seems a a little less dangerous, even though there are social elements to it. It's just the patterns, like social patterns of how people use it is more so as like inspiration and, uh, like making boards for your wedding, you know? (laughs) However, there is an element if I were to say, oh, we're talking about the risk of factors in Pinterest right now, it is still making money on advertising. So there is still an element of behavior modification. It just seems that the behavior modification there, you know, anecdotally is like less dire. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, I would say I don't mess with Facebook anymore. Like Facebook to me has just lost its edge. I mean, like lost even a lot of the parts that made it good. Um, a lot of the people frequenting Facebook right now, even in my own family, I must say, like most of my family is still Facebook dominant, but they don't have a level of digital literacy that I would want for, you know, my kids operating in a digital space. Like I'd want them to have ideally be around people who have more understanding of how digital spaces work. And Facebook has just turned into like this spiral of misinformation and digital illiteracy 
and all this stuff. There's good stuff that happens there too, but I would say because it's still the most, like I'm pretty sure it still has the biggest um, audience, the male actors have really been drawn there, you know? More so than a Twitter? Because I feel like Twitter is the most vile place on earth besides YouTube yeah. comments. Yeah. Uh, Twitter Twitter still doesn't have like as many of the private spaces and the groups and everything else going on on Facebook. And I sometimes feel like the, the concern... And I'm just thinking off the top of my head, though. Like I could certainly hear other perspectives. Like Facebook is... It ties in all of that misinformation and... Um, you know, like malintent information with your personal life. So you're looking at pics of your kids on a vacation and then you're seeing like your president doesn't have it, your best interests at heart. And it's like a link that I would be able to tell right away would be on Snopes or like would be like fact checked. I could see you right away. This is a blog, not a journalist, like this kind of stuff, right? Not to say that bias doesn't exist everywhere, but it's certainly... I think we can we can agree, or you can let me make the case to you that um, there are certain professions upon which we have decided they need to have less bias and um, maybe more facts, like scientists. And um, um, okay, so then where's Twitter? Um, I don't see like still a lot of personal relationships happening there. You can meet people and like take it off Twitter, but it still seems to be more a lot of like a microphone, like let me put my ideas out there. And I think in that you definitely get a lot of hate and like harassment. You get it on Facebook too, if you're public, but yeah, that's just how I'm feeling right now. It ties it up with personal in a way that freaks me out for the individual. I guess maybe to back up, I maybe should ask this in the beginning. What is social media? Like, what is the definition? I mean, is YouTube social media? Is Reddit? I mean, what is the line now? You're right. That is all social media. I would say that social media is media on which we engage with other humans. Okay. But even as I say that, that definition could be changing in the next little bit. Okay, let's start with mod- let's start with current philosophy though. So, so social media. Um, this would also mean then that oh, and you know what? I will say for our definition here, we're talking mostly about technical social media, and so that would make something like gaming now a social media, whereas it wasn't twenty years ago because you spend a lot of people spend a great portion of gaming talking to other humans, right? streaming, you know, talking to other humans. So that would be a social media as well. There's like the one-way social media. Um, well, actually, no, that just defeats the purpose. I meant you can stream out and get responses back. It's still a social media, but it doesn't feel as like back and forth as maybe like a Facebook comment section or TikTok or something like that. Yeah. It w- let's see. What else? Reddit would be social media as well. Um, so you could argue that even like Teams chat is a social media these days. Interesting. Okay. (laughs) Just like a corporate social. (laughs) So I got to pick your brain then about LinkedIn. You mentioned we met on social media. I found you on LinkedIn and it really feels like we've all been duped into belief. So I don't have any personal social medias besides LinkedIn, because if you don't have Mm -hmm. one, it's almost like, what are you Mm -hmm. doing? You don't take your career seriously. Like you have to have one. Is this the greatest marketing ploy of all time that you have to have one? LinkedIn is actually an interesting case. So I'm glad that you brought that up because it still comes with a set of risks. Like, for example, 
top risks that come to mind would be that you're going to compare yourself and this may cause you to not feel good about where you are in life. This may cause, this may correlate later with, uh, you know, anxiety, depression, and you might not understand where it's coming from. However, LinkedIn, unlike Facebook, Meta, Google, um, does not make most of its money on advertising, which means it does actually not make most of its money on behavior modification. It makes most of its money on recruiter, which is a functional service that companies pay for to recruit people. They, of course, added, you know, like professional branding. You can do professional branding here and you can share your ideas. They still kind of want it to remain professional. Um, And that is, you know, in an attempt to get your name out there. This is their goals. How people use it is like different, but that, so in, in a way, I don't know if it's completely professionally duped because that is the service they're providing. I've recruited there. I've been recruited there. And if you have an account there, like that, that's kind of what they're offering that you can recruit on the biggest professional platform in the world. So that's where it's a little bit different. Um, but you can still get jobs without LinkedIn. I would just, if I was doing a, if I was like giving practices, I would say, we're going to search you. Yes. So you're going to tell me what to say about you and not having anything is also a story. Yes. That's the thing, right? If you don't have one and I've hired folks and I go, Oh, it's interesting. You don't have one. It's maybe not a negative, but it's definitely like, Oh, you don't see that much these days anymore. So there are consequences to non-participation of social media. Like there's negative consequences too. And this is worth, this is worth noting because People might want to say to young kids, oh, get your head out of your phone these days. Like, why do you even care that they didn't like your photo or something like that? And it's like, well, they, one, they care. So that's not very helpful. And uh, two, they're in deciding when your kid gets online, you are also opening them up to the consequences of non-participation. If all their friends are online and they're not allowed, that is a consequence. If you're okay with that consequence, then that's fine. Like do, do your parenting duty. Just, just so you know, though. And the same thing for people who are not on LinkedIn, a consequence of non-participation is that it might be harder to find you or to understand who you are, or you might not be like, you might not be found for those positions of people who are recruited there. If you are thinking about inclusion though, if you're somebody in general who thinks about inclusion and you were a recruiter, you would be saying, it's not okay that we can only get candidates from LinkedIn. We would be saying, we need to also maybe drive them from LinkedIn to our website or, um, and if people want to find it there, they can find it there, right? Because you'd be saying that these consequences should not be so great that it prevents participation. And that's basically inclusive practice. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I feel like a lot of recruiters, they need to hear that. And you mentioned cell phones. Are cell phones making this worse? Because I think back to when we were kids, we had landlines. There was a family <laughs> desktop. You couldn't access it all the time. What's the link between cell phones and the mental health piece? Well, I would say smartphones and the mental health piece or the ability to carry around the little computer with you is... Uh, is the major difference. And yeah, certainly contributed to it, right? Mass adoption and being able to tap into these addictions, into these like subconscious desires and to, to not fill time being bored anymore because you have this appendage now. So yeah, certainly I would say contributed to mass adoption and therefore um, all the consequences that came with that. 
you know, it's kind of interesting. You said, is it going to like, is social media or sorry, you said, um, you know how cigarettes became uncool and kind of now we're like, what are you doing? Like on a cigarette? <laughs> I, I have seen some small trends and I don't know if it's going to completely pick off or take off, but there's like some young generations in Gen Z where they, um, they're going back to like flip phones. Oh, cool. Okay. Or like a little bit of a movement beyond the generation too of people saying like, all right, F that. Like, I'm just going to go back to texting and calling because that's what I need on the daily and everything else is just going to have to wait. And for those people who are kind of part of that movement, they're saying, you know, I it, it helped me regain work-life balance because I wasn't emailing. I had to be like at a unit to do my work again. And um I, I helped regain my time because I wasn't just mindlessly scrolling. So who knows? We might see some of that. What I do think we will start to see more of is um, the younger generations thinking it's uncool to put all of your life and all of your thoughts on social media. Okay. That has not fully happened yet. Because I know some of you listening are like, what the heck are you talking about? I was on TikTok yesterday, but just... When you're talking to me, we're thinking to, we're thinking five to ten years in the future, okay? So, I think that what if you have people like me and you raising this next generation, and we're saying now, you know, if if, if I do my job correctly, those parents are going to be saying, "Yeah, wait, 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 we have to have the conversation about social media." Like, oh, wait, this is something I need to know about. You're asking me for an account. Oh crap, I've never thought about this before. Like, they're going to realize first off, that this is actually a hard part of parenting and not just a, yeah, sure, have fun, do whatever you want. So that's when that happens. Um, they're also likely going to be more and more educated to say, hey, you shouldn't be putting all your stuff out there because people can find you, predators can find you. Um, this might be used, they're, they're seeing it be used against people today, things they wrote when they were 13 online. So they're like, mm, okay, now they've got um, consequential use cases in a way. Like, um, what do you, you call them? Warning signs that I think that they're going to be like, we should go back to closed networks. Like, I think we should just keep it to our friends. I'm, I think we're going to see that. And as a parent, <laughs> how do you coach parents on drawing the line, right? Because you want to make sure your kid is safe and being responsible, but you also want to establish a boundary and let them have privacy. I mean, in an ideal world, and I know you get asked a lot, what is, what is the perfect balance between letting them be themselves, but also understanding what they're up to? I'm not a parent yet, but, um, I feel like all of the world's children are just like our children. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. so, um, there is no perfect balance. So don't, don't hurt, hurt yourself too hard. You know, if you're not getting this right, because I feel like that is the greatest struggle of a parent period is to create a little human who is an individual who is themselves, who can be an independent person in this world, physically, financially, emotionally, socially, and that that might be different from you. It might, they might, might be different even than the things that you like and how you would do it. And so I feel like that is the ultimate challenge of a parent in any realm. And probably just like with social media too, you're probably like, um, you know, some of you parents listening, when your kid got on social media, you probably noticed a difference in their personality, not for all of them, but for some of them. And you're thinking like, oh my gosh, did I, did I mess up? Like, did I let them on too soon? Were they not prepared? That is a risk, right? You know, because as they start, as they start trying new things, 
you, you and they learn more about them. Is the answer ever having the password and being able to go into their account? Should that ever be an option? Yep. Yeah, it should be an option. Oh, yeah. okay. You know, okay. when I was a kid, you know, when I was in my teens, I was uh, actually pretty extremely responsible. And like I did, nice. I certainly, I was not, I had my fun for sure. And, you know, I definitely was engaging in risky behaviors, but I was a responsible kid. So I think that my parents had social media been a thing then, or like even with like MSN or something like that. Um I don't think they would have been as concerned about me than some of my sisters. Right. So when you, your kid, this seems obvious, except when your kid is engaging in a risky behavior, you may set rules and parameters for them so that you mitigate risk. And if they break your rules, there may be consequences. And you know what? I think that's perfectly fine. And you know what? Some of your kids, they may require more guardrails, right? Like driving is a risky behavior. So what do we do? We teach people the rules of the road. We make them get a license to participate. We put guardrails on the road. Yes, you might be sad that you cannot drive anywhere that you want to drive in this field, but it's for the best of everyone. So some kids may need more guardrails than others. And saying, you know, I was following you and you've done things that we've talked about online that you were not supposed to do. I need to have your password now. I may not always have it, but I need to have it now or else I'm taking your phone away or else you'll think through some creative consequences. <laughs> so then what do you think of the new law in Utah about social media and and having to have permission if you're under 18 or having to verify your age? Do you think that's a step in the right direction, misguided, but a good step? I feel like when I read this, I was I was like, well, yeah, for it. Okay. So this is the one where it's, it's actually not in action yet. I think it's starting early next year where they have to verify the age of a Utah adult seeking to maintain or open a social media account. You have to get con the consent of a parent or guardian for users under the age of 18. Listen, I am kind of for this right now. Like yeah, I really want to see how this turns out. But um, I would say that if you actually want a healthier social media, like I mean a public forum, a public sphere that democracy was based on, actually. Democracy was literally based on having a safe public sphere where people could debate ideas freely and safely, right? That means one, that you're talking to people. So yeah, <laughs> verification seems like it would actually be very helpful. Now I know for sure this is not a Russian bot. Now I know for sure that this is not a 40-year-old groomer who's talking to me as a 13-year-old, right? right? Like we can actually have more social dialogue again, weirdly in a safer way. The So I like that. I like that um, in, in the way of like kind of verifying adults. I like that. Yeah. You should have, it's a risky behavior. You should have parental consent to be part of it. <laughs> we would do that with any other risky behavior. Will there be workarounds? Trust me, all these kids are going to find workarounds, but, but the government's job in my opinion is to set the guardrails for the safest use. If you decide to work around it, that you are accepting the consequences that come with that theoretically. Right. So then how do you see them actually enforcing that? Would that be on the government side or the corporations, big tech? 
they will likely have to regulate the corporations. Like with any new law that comes in place, even if I decide to make a, a new law on the road, everyone who drives, including the businesses, are going to have to abide by the rules of the road. So, so if Utah is saying, guess what? This is how we do things here. The social media companies, if they want to keep their millions of people in Utah, they will abide by the rules. Um, now, what could happen is the way that they verify identities recently, you know, you maybe you've seen it if you've traveled, they do it with passports. They even do it on Airbnb now. Really? So, yeah. Like if you want to verify that you're a person, you know, someone's going to stay at your house. They even do it on Facebook now. You can get a blue check mark on Instagram just by verifying your identity now. Now, let's talk about another risk. Some people will be uncomfortable with the privacy and security risk that comes with that. As in that comes with, as in I'm going to be releasing my identity to a corporation. Oh, all these people are going to have copies of my passport. The government is involved in my private affairs. Like people are going to have those opinions too. Aren't they already though? Don't they already have all this data on us? That's another thing I want to talk to you about is them collecting our data. So, I mean, is it anything they don't already know? Yeah, there is. Like, so this would be called, um, is, have you ever heard of Overton's window? No. It's the idea that if I'm trying to convince you to do something or, or have something be normalized in a group or in public, I should go, if this is what's normal right now, I should take the extreme version of it. I should go totally extreme. We're tracking everything so that everyone's up in a tizzy. They can't believe this. So that when I come back here, everyone's okay. So Overton's window is essentially pushing past the point of comfort, like well past it so that I can come back a little bit to the middle. And, and in the end, I still moved it forward in my direction. And why this matters is because if you are saying like, I'm not okay with this digital lack of privacy, then every small step you take in that direction is getting you closer to, to, um, you know, 1984. Right. Right. <laughs> Literally. Right. So I can see that. And I, and I empathize with that. Well, I empathize with people who I feel are well-intentioned in that idea. I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily like think to myself or agree with the whole like F government, they shouldn't be involved in anything. I think what we need though, is probably better government. Like in the States right now, I would say it's hard pressed to call this a democracy right now. It was, I would say it's probably more of a capitalist state because democracy is based on an understanding of truth. And then we can talk about that truth together. And right now there's no, there's social media has torn down a shared understanding of truth and kind of polarized people in the process. And so then we're not even talking about how we approach an idea. We're talking about, does the idea even exist? And that's like never happened in democracy. So we're saying, you know, what it should be is like, oh, we believe that we should take care of people who are poor. Okay. The debate should be about how do you do that right now? It's like, you got someone saying people aren't poor. You got someone saying like that, that doesn't exist. Someone saying that's fake news. Someone saying I hate poor people. And that's what the debate has become about. And so, you know, actors who want to drive dissension in a democratic state have, uh, I would say, done it successfully via social media and um, 
are probably going to continue to with AI. So that concerns me. And then the other thing is democracy theoretically is based on the idea that the best idea wins when the most amount of people want it, that the most amount of people want the idea becomes the idea that's put in place. But right now, I would say more so than the most idea, people who vote the most, we've got things like voter suppression. You've got things like um, all this, you've got um, probably the most expensive idea wins. And if you can buy yourself into a political system, we are getting much closer to foreign, <laughs> foreign styles of government that we may not have wanted when America started than we are to a democracy. So I think that probably needs more, um, <laughs> like that probably concerns me more. This is a, it seems like a side note, but I promise you all, it is all connected to the world of big tech, privacy, um, government interference in this stuff. Who do we expect to be responsible for this is kind of, you do get to these philosophical questions. And ultimately it's us, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you have to put the onus on yourself. Mm. I've heard you talk about, you know, there's a lot of levels of responsibility, but I think fundamentally it's on all of us to mm -hmm. really, you know, objectively look at what's being shown to us. Now, if you're mm -hmm. on social media, how can you spot, how can you be a detective and go, this, this post, this advertisement, something about this seems fake or off? What are the tells normally? Well, I do think there does need to be mass digital literacy like education campaign that just needs to be part of like, like every schooling everywhere. And if it were up to me, I would say all adults need to do it. Like it's like driving a license. Like you can't exist as a human in a digitally connected dem democracy unless you've demonstrated or like you have to demonstrate some element of digital literacy. So that would teach them some tells maybe like, for example, Blogs or, or like there are media institutions with journalism. Journal, journalism is a field upon which has ethics. Like there is different rules there than I'm just blogging on TikTok and here's what I think about something. You can, there are fact-checking sites like, you know, I think Snopes is one of them where I will, if I see something that doesn't make sense with my critical thinking, like my line of reasoning, like I know, I know. Canada, like I know Ontario, I don't think that I'm going to be surprised if this politician actually said that. If I'm even having that feeling, I'm going to throw it on some fact checking sites. I'm going to do some secondary research for my, I actually will, because I don't want to be going out there. I would be embarrassed to be kind of sharing some misinformation. So that's like, it's almost like you've got to teach critical thinking and then, and then critical thinking in the realm of the digital world. You keep getting these advertisements. Have you thought about, have you ever engaged with someone meaningfully who thinks different than you about abortion? By the way, I mean this to everyone. Have you ever, ever engaged meaningfully off social media with someone who thinks very different from you? Most probably not. Most probably not. And I understand how, understand very deeply how it's hard. Like it's hard to hold space for someone who might be thinking very differently than you do. Um, I can tell you though, that I have had the pleasure sometimes and sometimes challenge, but pleasure in my lifetime of, you know, I own a soft skills development company and I travel a lot f through that. And, um, 
for pleasure. And through that company, I get to be in every kind of organization, every kind of company, industry, been um, many different places. So I've had the pleasure of having those conversations with people who are very different from me in a way that's um, non-judgmental. Guess and I learn things. But then when I go on social media, social media is not is not set up for meaningful dialogue. Almost period. <laughs> so that's why I'm like I had to learn the hard way actually. Like I had some family members when I was in my early 20s like were doing things online that were really riling me up like and I would spend a day being like, I am just disoriented. I need to respond to this because there's all these other things that they're not considering. And there's this report and how have they not read this report? And like, I would spend like a day stressing about it. And I realized I was, you know, Preto principle, mine was reversed. I was spending 80% of my time trying to fix 20% of the issue, you know? And I was like, this is not the way I know it's hard. Cause it was maybe my family member, but I'm like, I need to be spending 80% of my time on the 80%. And so I need to go work with people who want to learn about digital well-being, who want to learn about literacy. And that was a bit challenging, like to, yeah. So I guess, I guess you asked about though, like digital literacy, some spots. Um, you can tell like if you go on someone's account and all they're doing is responding to others with like hate or something like that, it's you don't want to mess with them because it's not actually like meaningful. It's just, it's just, just, this is just what they do on the account. Maybe they get a kick out of it. Maybe they're a bot. Right. If so, basically if you see something that feels off, check it is what you're saying. Go find out. Yeah. So that in order to say like what feels off for people, they need critical thinking and digital literacy training earlier, ideally, but even if you can't do it earlier, just by watching my Ted talk, like just by, this is what education does. Like I get to do this every day by teaching somebody what a highlight reel is. I get messages all the time. I'm in the session with people who will say, oh my gosh, that, that is literally me today. So they start, they learn one simple concept and it's like, wow. Then they go on the next day and they're like, oh, like they think differently. That's what learning is. And so to me, like it's the greatest gift you can give someone, right? Is to teach. But, um, or try, you know, and, uh, if we start there, then they can start thinking for themselves. Like we might be training people to think what feels off. Right. And do you think the physical act of scrolling factors into the social media addiction at all? Cause it's almost like a slot machine, like keep mm-hmm. scrolling, scrolling. Yeah, it is. It do does. you think, I mean, what would be an alternative to scrolling for more content? Like would literally just swiping left and right be different like pages or what do you think would help? Interesting. Cause now I feel like you should do an interview with a behavioral, it'd be interesting to get like a behavioral psychologist who does tech design. Right. Um, but I don't know, maybe that would probably reduce people's consumption of, of like having a, a like one, 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 but then again, TikTok is kind of like that and it will just auto advance for you, but people still get addicted there. Uh, remember the chronological scroll? I don't. What What is that? I don't remember. <laughs> that was when Facebook first came out and when Instagram first came out, actually. You would just, when you opened it up, it started at 
what you missed from your friends and it ended and it would say you're all caught up. Oh, because you okay, saw everything yeah. your friends have posted. Yeah. Boy, that's been a while, right? <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. That would help because then I'm, I'm engaging with who I chose to engage with, not you, whoever you is, AI, introducing all these random characters into my for you feed, right? <laughs> so, I mean, like I said, though, I can talk about the blessings and curses of anything. That's what complex thinking is, right? I also really love my for you page on TikTok. So I think really at the end of the day, and what I said in the TED Talk too was, was these steps are in place first for you to figure out you. Like we are all different and how you engage with any risky behavior is going to be different than what I need from this risky behavior. So for example, like step one was build awareness and understanding, right? But step two was to moderate consumption based on you. Once you've done self-awareness work, you should be able to ask yourself the question, do I even like what I'm seeing here? Like, did this even bring me value? Um, what is frustrating me right now? Like, and now we're getting into offline soft skills, which is step three, build the offline soft skills. <laughs> because I promise you, if you work on those, if you build confidence in yourself, if you have goals offline, if you have figured out the kinds of things that stress you out and the coping strategies that work best for you and resilience, I a thousand percent promise you it will improve your social media experience probably the most. It's probably the thing that could most improve your social media experience, regardless of what the companies do. And that's why in step five, I do say, I do include ourselves as part of the people who are accountable for this. I am also accountable to do my role in this, to build my own self-awareness and critical thinking skills and not blame everything on the companies and the governments, right? Absolutely. So I, I think what I'm gaining is don't go off and delete everything just build some critical thinking skills and understand if it's working for you or not. Bailey, it seem, it would be silly for me to not ask you to plug your social media since that's what <laughs> we've been talking about, but how can folks get a hold of more of what you're doing right now? Yeah, for sure. You could follow me on social media, but hopefully it's the good side of social media, right? Like at least I hope I'm trying to create a digital space that's uh, more inviting or like interesting or you can learn or so I'm at Bailey Parnell at, uh, at everything. And then I also have a charity called Save Social where we just teach about this stuff. So maybe you introduce that into your feed. That is at safesocialmedia.co. And that's also the website, safesocialmedia.co with lots of free resources. Amazing. Bailey, thank you so much for coming on and enlightening me about social media. I think it's a topic everybody needs to learn more about. So I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. And ever evolving. So keep your eyes peeled. <laughs>